God, I just pray for ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to this people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I am so excited because I get to do my favorite thing in the world this morning. So we are going to get back into the book of Daniel. And yesterday we did not finish um, going through chapter 1. If you'll recall, we started talking about Daniel in the sense of a Jewish interpretation method. Does anybody remember um, one of the words, the four words of Jewish interpretation? I had you repeat them. What is it? Remez. Remez. Very good. Another one. Sowed. Sowed. Yes. Peshat. Peshat. <coughs> and one more. Darash. Very good. Peshat, Remez, Darash, and Sowed. Now, if you'll remember, I'm going to put it on the screen. Peshat is the basic meaning. What does the text say? What can I read and what can I pull off the surface? All right? Remez are the hints. It's the little things that we, we dig deep into the scripture and we find over the day. You often hear the older people say, I can never find the end of the scripture. I always find something new. And I'm going to challenge you that, actually I have a paper I want to show you. Um, I carry around my Bible. It's a very rough shape. I have a copy of, I wasn't going to do this, so I'm not ready. I got a lot of things I carry in my Bible. Yes, here they are. I have a copy of Jewish letters, symbols, numbers, and I also have a copy of pictures that go with it. You can see how good of shape it's in. Now, I use these often because I'll take the Hebrew words. I have a great website. I think it's Q Bible, I think, and it, lay, it lays out the Hebrew letters, it lays out the Hebrew transliteration, and then the English, and it has a little Strong's number on each one of them, and you can highlight over it, and it gives you the word in Hebrew, and gives you the definition and the meaning. And I love it because I'll use it to actually do my little comic strip pictures. So you think about Hebrew, um, I think I said every set letter has 70 facets. I think actually every word has 70 facets of meaning. So you think about every single word in your Bible, when you translate it into Hebrew, has actually 70 facets of meaning. They actually call it like a 70 faceted diamond. Isn't that awesome? And so you think about this, you're like, yeah, I know the stories of the Bible pretty good. Um, yeah, you need to go into every word too. Because there's actually a big diamond in every single word of Scripture. And we get into the remez, we start to discover those diamonds. I gave you my favorite example yesterday, um, the word iniquity. Ein, vav, noon. Ein is an eyeball. Vav is a hook. Noon is fish multiplying. Whatever your eye hooks to multiplies. Right? That's iniquity. Iniquity is when you actually see something, you start thinking about it, and it starts to multiply in your mind, and it's iniquity that gives birth to sin, and birth, sin that gives birth to transgression, or to actually the act. So in Jesus, he's like, um, yeah, if you actually look at a woman lustfully or hate your brother, you, you've already committed the sin. It's already began to multiply in your heart. He was talking about iniquity. So we look at the letters, is a good remez. The, the most easy example is numbers. We looked at those yesterday. The number 10. 10 is one of the numbers of completion. It's also the number of law. It's also um, symbolized by the letter Yud, 
which is, remember letters and numbers, they use the letters for their numbering system too. Yud is the first letter of the holy name of God. Yud, hey, vav, hey. Right? So, and it also is symbolized, I'm going to give you the lot. It's symbolized by a hand or the hand of God. So when you have the number 10, we're talking about the hand of God in Daniel's life. We're talking about perfection. It's also on the 10th of, of Nisan, the lamb to go to be inspected. Daniel's being inspected here. It's, a, it's tied directly to Passover and the inspection of the lamb. So there's a lot of stuff going on here in the remez. Now I'll give you another example. I talked about this yesterday. I slaughtered it, and I felt really, really bad about it. I gave you the example of Isaiah 11 too. Um, and the spirit of the Lord is wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. This is called um, reverse concentric symmetries, another remez. And it's actually really, really common in the Bible. The idea is A plus B plus C equals C plus B plus A, and there's something in the middle. So if you have wisdom, actually the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of Wisdom. So you have the um, question. Okay, I thought you raised your hand. You have you have that as a remez. Um, you have understanding equals knowledge. You have counsel brings you into might. So it actually backs out of the statement. But what about the center? The idea the Hebrews would teach it this way that in this this is actually a menorah. All right. And in the center is the servant. So if you're going to have any of these qualities, you have to actually act as a servant. That's a remez. Uh, Genesis 1.1 is another example of that. Um, see, let's see if I can do it in Hebrew. Bereshit, Barah, Elohim, Aleph, Tav. I can't remember the rest of it. Never mind. But anyway, um, the book, first verse of Genesis, Genesis 1.1, is seven words. And the center word is Aleph Tav. Okay? And that's the actual um, whole point of Genesis 1-1. And it's not translated in your Bible. It is not there. If you look at Genesis 1-1, Aleph Tav is not there because it's untranslatable. But the, the Jews always said, this is the main point of Genesis 1-1. And again, it's a menorah. It's got the six words, Aleph Tav in the center. When Jesus came in Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Translate that to Hebrew. I am the Aleph Tav. The whole point of Genesis 1-1 is a menorah, and in the center is Aleph Tav. Jesus is in the center of Genesis 1-1. It's a remez. Hmm. So... I'm losing anybody here. All right. (laughs) The third one is the derash. It's the sermon. It means to inquire. What are we learning from the passage? How can we actually apply this to our lives? What's the the lesson here? What are we going to ask God? What what are you you saying to me? What what am I getting out of the scripture? What what examples am I getting? So it's a sermon. What we do every week is Sunday morning. And then sowed. So it is what I absolutely love. It's what is the Holy Spirit saying to me when I read this passage? And this is, this is the four levels of interpretation. And these are not things that you just do in the Bible. 
In, 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 in Jewish culture, in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as a spiritual life and a secular life. Everything was spiritual. Everything. So everything that you see in your life, they would apply these four levels of learning. What is God showing me through Peshat? Like just what I see, Remez, is he showing me any hints in my life? I have a friend that I, I, I um, a disciple on the phone, he's in a adult foster care outside the state, three, four times a week. He's constantly picking up on these remezes in his life, and God's showing him crazy things through remez in his daily life. So it's not something that you just, you just um, do for reading the Bible. It's actually something for life. Um, I'll give you an example, a New Testament example um, of remez again. And kind of going back, I love remez. Um, the, the story of Jairus' daughter. All right? So you have a 12-year-old girl who's sick. She, he, uh, they come to Jesus, say, uh, teacher, come heal my daughter. She's 12 years old. And on the way, he gets interrupted by a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years. Right? So we look at that, and I have no, no reason to doubt the details of that story. But in ancient history, meaning always, always trumped detail. Doesn't mean that the details were wrong, but the meaning was more important than the detail. So what, are the, what is the passage saying? What are the disciples seeing in their life right here happening in front of them? Yeah, on the surface, there's a, there's a little girl that needs healing, and there's a woman who gets healed. Um, that's the shot. The remez is this, is that you have the number 12 flashing on the big screen. Not only is God healing a woman and a little girl, he's bringing healing to the nation of Israel. That's what this passage is about. That's the remez. And then we can get into a good dirash. We can get, what's the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of stuff going on there. So it's not just in the Old Testament. It's also in the New. Any questions to that point? All right. Now, yesterday, I talked about that, talked about that. Oh, wait, we're back. Okay, yesterday, I was in the middle of my Darash part. I gave you the Peshat, I gave you the Remez, we read the chapter, and then I was talking about the sermon, and then the blasted clock told me I had to quit. So, I'm going to go review the points um, that we, we covered yesterday. I will finish the sermon issue, and then we'll go to chat. We'll take a 10-second break, and we'll go to chapter 2. Sound good? And 10 seconds in my life is like an eternity. <laughs> Ask my wife. Uh, I'm always moving. I don't like to sit down. And um, she calls me the anti-sleep. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Always trying to find more time. <laughs> so Daniel, he had an unnatural strength. It says in the Bible that he purposed his heart. He set his face to actually um, not disobey God in the midst of a king that was very evil. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar was a guy who probably killed his family, and he was the ruler of the known world at that time, and probably the most powerful king to ever live. And I say that because up to this time, there was, ne and even now, there has never been a ruler that was as absolute as Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel, he was brought through the calamity of the deportation, and then Think of the mind games here going on. And brought and placed into the palace. 
and said, we're going to give you the best and we're going to groom you to be one of the wise men of Babylon. <coughs> but in order to do that, we are going to train you in a pagan worldview. Right? So Daniel is actually being trained in what we would call a very, very secular school. Did Daniel object? No, he didn't do that. But he set his face. When it came to disobeying the law of God, he set his face and he followed God no matter what, even though it probably was thought to mean certain death. He didn't know the outcome like we do. It was a death sentence to disobey this king in any way. So he had, he had an unnatural strength. He had unashamed boldness. He requested not to defile himself. Imagine a 13, 14-year-old little boy going up to the most powerful man in the world who has no problem with killing kids. And he says this, I will obey God first. He had an unashamed boldness. He would not defile himself before God. Did he honor the king? You bet he honored the king. The Bible says to honor our authorities. But we live in two kingdoms, my beloved. Two kingdoms. We live in the kingdom of God, and we also live in the kingdom of men. And we got we to gotta do well in both of them. And we got to just so honor in both of them, but we live in a higher kingdom. Yes. And that's the kingdom of heaven. And when it comes to our God, we have to honor his name first. Yes. All right, this is where we left off. He had unearthly protection. Proverbs 16, 7. It should come up. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace. It says in the Bible then, Daniel chapter 1, that Daniel had favor. And this is one of the few chapters in Daniel in Hebrew, by the way. Chapter 1 is in Hebrew. 2 through 7 are in Aramaic, and the rest are in Hebrew again. Just to, So we're not going to see the words as much in 2, and, 2 through 7. But it says, he had kissed or loving kindness. Because he obeyed God, he found the loving kindness even of those who maybe were his enemies. He thrived in the midst of his enemies because he was obeying God first. He had unearthly persistence. He refused to obey the smallest command under the threat of death. How many here could justify um, eating a pork chop to not die? Anybody in this room? You can raise your hand if you want. Or how about a shrimp? Just a little shrimp. Uh, God needs me, right? He needs me to like influence these guys. So I can't die, right? I'm, I'm a good guy. I, I, I know the Bible. I know God. Man, I better stick around so that I can be an influence. No. Daniel knew that no matter what happened, God would put the people in place that he needed and that he was a, simply a servant and a tool of God. And he said, no, I will not compromise no matter what. I think, he was, I think he was drawing on a revelation that was given in Habakkuk 2.4. It says, the just shall live by his faith. 
You know, we talk about living by faith in the New Testament. His faith is a calm assurance that God is directing the path of his story. And he knows what the end result is and that if we obey him, he will hold us in his hands and we have nothing to fear. That is the revelation that Daniel had, that he had a strong um, confidence and he could know that he could have a strong persistence. He had unmeasurable blessing. It says that he came into greater health than all the other men. It says that he had the most knowledge and the wisdom. In fact, ten times the wisdom, knowledge, and skill of all the wise men of Babylon which was a center of world learning. He exerted, he excelled them by 10, and at this time, he's 13 or 14 years old. Can you imagine the little pimple-faced little boy going out there, and he's like just blowing all the deep scholars out of the water because he has so much wisdom because he's brought himself to God. Now, I think about my children and how... Am I going to train them? We know that we train up a child in the way he's going, he will not depart from it. It's from the wisdom literature. Does that mean it's a promise? No, it's not. It's wisdom. And if we look at our, if we look at Proverbs, Proverbs is a wisdom book. It's not a book of law. It's wisdom. In general, this is a principle that works. So he is trained up. I'd love to meet Daniel's parents. That would be unbelievable. <laughs> But, um, and forgot where I was going. <laughs> oh, it said he had 10 times the wisdom, 10 times the skill. This little boy, I think about, I think about my daughter, Ella, when she was two years old. No, there's a story you want to tell. Yeah, I'll do that one. When she was two years old, uh, she was almost three, and, um, we, uh, we, at that time, we were helping out in the church we were in, and one night we were up at the church, and um, just, she was playing, and I pointed to the picture on the wall, and, and she was, of my three children, she was the most linguistically gifted at an early age. And I said, hey, Ella, who's that on the wall? She's like, that's a picture of Jesus, Daddy. I'm like, yeah, that's right. And I go, what's he, what's he doing? Well, he's knocking on a door. You know, it's that famous picture, you know, Christ knocking on Hart's door. And I go, where's the doorknob? And she goes, there is no doorknob. And I go, that's right. Because you got to let him in. Jesus wants to come into your heart. And she goes, Daddy, I want Jesus in my heart. And I said, um, I froze. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> and I go, like, uh, maybe you should ask your mom to help you with that. <laughs> so, so she runs across the church. Mommy, help me. Help me with my heart, Mommy. Help me with my heart. And so we pray for her. And, and she, she asked Jesus in her heart. I know it's not the best theology, um, but it works. And um, two weeks later, I'm a farmer as well. And, and uh, we were in extreme drought. And um, there was some rain coming in. We're down by Unionville. And it was a nice rain coming in. And the storm split. And it went up here and got seedling really good, got Carol really good. And the sun came back out. We were dry. Look at the radar. The thing is over. And we're still dry. Our crops, one of the worst droughts we've been in. Crops are burning up. And I'm like, this was our last chance. We're not going to get a crop if we don't get some rain. 
And I was standing in the kitchen with Rochelle and Ella, and I told Rochelle, I said, we need to pray for rain now. I looked at Ella. She's just about three. I said, Ella, would you like to pray with us for rain? And she goes, Daddy, yes, but I don't know how to pray. And I said, okay, I'll teach you. And so we went outside on the porch. We knelt down on the couch. We had a little couch out there. And I said, Ella, would you like to pray? And she goes, Daddy, I don't know how to pray. And I said, okay, just say what I say. And I said, dear God. And she goes, dear God. And we got some sprinkles. So I said, thank you for the little bit of rain we got. And she goes, thank you for the little bit of rain we got. And then on her own, she goes, but we need more for our crops and for our garden. She, a, couple, a couple weeks before, she'd been in VBS. And the theme was trust God. She looks up in the sky and yells at the top of her lungs, trust God. Wow. Looks down. And with the high-pitched little girl scream with everything she had in her, she screams, rain! <laughs> Just screams it. And before the came out of rain, big drops, reminds me of Honey, <laughs> Circle Maker, if you've heard that story, big drops of rain starts falling down. The sun's still shining. Rain's coming down. And we got an inch and a half of rain. She looks at me. <laughs> She goes, you see, Daddy, all you have to do is trust God. <laughs> she looks up and she says, praise God. That's the kind of faith we need to put into our children at a young age. That's the kind of faith that Daniel would have had built into him at a very young age. That when he went out at 1,500 miles after he probably saw his parents slaughtered, that he could go out and stand before a king in the mightiest city on earth and declare, I will obey God because I know he will show up for me. That is the message of Daniel. So, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Let's take a minute. Listen, what is Holy Spirit saying to you when you hear that story of Daniel? Is there anybody? It's in Revelation. Be hearing. Listen. Years ago, I had a sewed on this story. And I wrote this, on, I took this off my wall. You can see the thumbtack on it still. I wrote this down as a declaration on Daniel chapter 1. If Daniel could be 10 times better than all the best in the kingdom, and John the Baptist was the greatest of the prophets, Yet the least in the kingdom is greater than John. This is my petition. I have the fullness of Jesus and have received a grace for grace. 
May I walk upright in the fear of the Lord and with the full anointing of Jesus. May I have ten times the efficiency, the wisdom, production, and skill. May I preach with ten times the effectiveness, anointing, and grace. May I be ten times more loving, gracious, and a leader to my family. May I walk in the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit, displaying love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May I fulfill the calling of Mark 16 to go and preach the gospel to salvation, casting out demons, speaking in new tongues, taking deadly poison without harm, laying hands on the sick, and seeing them recover, and raising the dead. I believe these things will happen for the glory of Yeshua in the final great move of the Holy Spirit. This is my petition. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, this is what's available to you. Jesus said this. He said that of all the prophets, including the prophet Daniel, there is none greater than John the Baptist. And prophet Daniel was stinking amazing. And if Daniel could operate with ten times the amount of wisdom and knowledge of the greatest and most knowledgeable people in the kingdom, may I challenge you in this. Seek God to be ten times better wherever he has planted you. Seek God to excel, to bring glory to his name, whether it be in your job, your work, your ministry, whatever it is, bring glory to the name of God because of how you perform in your situation. Seek to do their very best. Remember, Daniel got a very secular education and he excelled in it. That's what Holy Spirit says to you. Are there any questions or comments on chapter 1? Alright. I'm going to close it with this then. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And Daniel had trials. And we all have trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My beloved, those trials that you have found yourself in are more precious than gold because they refine you to be the person that God has created you to be. That's Daniel 1. All right, I'm going to take our 10-second break, and <laughs> we'll go to Daniel 2. All right. 
Daniel 2, boy, I don't know how to transition this. <laughs> it's, it's a big transition. We're going to jump into some prophecy stuff in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, I told you yesterday, it, remember, is a parallel to Daniel chapter 7. It's the same prophecy, but chapter 2 is a lot more bare bone or skeletal than chapter 7. And um, the difference between 2 and 7 Two is a vision of the kingdoms of men in the views of men. In other words, chapter 2 um, puts out the, the kingdoms as precious metals, something that's precious. So it's given to a pagan king who sees kingdoms as precious. Chapter 7 lays them out as beasts. In other words, how God sees kingdoms of men. So... It's a basic difference. And I, I'm not gonna I was gonna do two and seven together, but I thought this is gonna get way too confusing and I want it's not it's gonna kinda go against my purpose. My goal is by Friday to get to chapter seven again and combine it with chapter eight, because chapter eight brings a lot of richness into chapter seven. So hopefully we'll be able to do that. So around 604 BC, Daniel's 14, 15 years old. And um, we're in Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to do 1 through 27 as a summary. I'm going to tell you the story. Because otherwise, we're just going to be reading a lot. And um, we'll never get as far as I want to get if we do that much reading. So, Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of of the world this time. He has a dream. And he calls all of his magicians, his astrologers, his sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians, and they they all come in, and he's like, hey guys, I had this dream. And they're like, tell me, tell us the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. He's like, no, you tell me the dream, and then give me the interpretation. And And they answer him, and they say, not a man on earth can tell a man his dream. Tell us the dream, O king, and we will interpret it. Now, there's a lot going on here. I don't think Nebuchadnezzar actually trusts his guys in charge, does he? He's like, um, I'm kind of having the, the idea that maybe you guys are a bunch of phonies, and you're just kind of making up stuff when I tell you my dreams. So, like, in order to know that you're true, you need to tell me the dream first. So, they, they say we can't, they ask for time, and I, I, I see that in a panic they ask for time. And he's like, no, you guys are done. And he gives a decree and he says, I am going to have all the wise men in the whole kingdom killed because you guys cannot tell me what I dreamed last night. This is the stuff of lunacy, right? Um, So Daniel, he's one of the wise men at 14 or 15. And I would actually call them the interns. So it's not only the wise men of Babylon that are going to be destroyed. It's also the group of interns, right? So Daniel um, is, is home or wherever he's at. And Arioch, who is the chief of the, or the commander, he comes out to kill all the wise men of Babylon and begins to do it. When he comes to Daniel, Daniel says, what's going on? Why is the king having all the wise men killed. And um, and he's like, well, they, he can't tell the king's dream. So Daniel says, take me to the king and I will tell him the dream. Or 
he asks to go to the king. So Daniel goes to the king and he asks for time. Don't you find it interesting that Daniel asked for the same thing that the other ones asked for and the king was okay with it? Already, even as an intern, Daniel is beginning to raise himself up as someone who can be trusted, who's someone who's real. I just sense this, that when you see Daniel coming to the king, he's coming very respectfully and saying, oh king, I'll take care of it. I just need a little bit of time. I see the other guys, their faces probably said everything, didn't they? There's looks of panic on their faces. And the king grants the request. So Daniel does something very, very important. He goes to his three friends, um, Mishael, Azariah, and um, Hananiah, and he says, hey, Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill us all. We need to go into a time of prayer. This is a really important concept. When we face things that are difficult, it's important to do them in community. I think we talked about, heard about this last night in the Big Ten, right? We don't ever do things on our own or solo. And Daniel only had three guys that were standing with him. Out of a large group of Jews that probably came to Babylon, he's got three guys. And he goes to them and he says, hey, um, we, need to, we need to pray about this. And they didn't, they didn't complain about it. They didn't get all worked up about it. They went to the feet of their father and they prayed about it. So Daniel, he goes there and they, they, um, they pray. And it says that Daniel is given an answer. If you're given the answer to the problem that's going to have you killed and have a whole lot of other people killed, what's the first thing you're going to do? Run to the king and tell him. That's what I would do. Is that what you would do? No, that's not what Daniel does. It says that Daniel praised God for the answer. And now we can think about this and say, oh yeah, you got the answer. Let's praise God. It wasn't tested. He didn't know if it was right, other than he, he trusted his ear from the Holy Spirit. You ever think about that? We know the end of the story, don't we? And Daniel, he praised God because he knew in his spirit that he had been given the answer. So, I think I'm doing my PowerPoint, but I'm not paying any attention to it. I'll catch it up later. <laughs> so, after he praises him, he says to Ariat, I have the answer, take me to the king. And Ariat goes to the king and he says, I have found the man who can give you the answer. Notice the pride. And Daniel, he doesn't care. He doesn't say, well, actually, um, I told you I could do it. No, he doesn't do that. It's humble. He says, he comes up there and he says, um, Eric, I have found the answer. And so, I'm going to pick it up in verse 28. Whoa, where am I? This wind has put me where I don't need to be. But he answered the king and says this, But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. Daniel didn't take any credit for it. Ariat says, I have found the man. And Daniel says, there is a God in heaven who has revealed to you the secrets of your dream. 
We need to have that same attitude when the Holy Spirit reveals things to us. When the Holy Spirit says something about somebody and you go and deliver a message. It's not a message from from Rhonda or from Pam or Rochelle or Justin or Kendall. It is a message from God and we give the credit to God. Daniel gave the credit where it was due. There is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And he said this, um, As for you, O king, the thoughts that came to your mind while you are on your bed about what would come to pass after this, and he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. But as for me, the secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom. There's a good point than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. I think it's interesting, and I'm backing up a little bit. When Daniel brought this answer, he said, don't kill the wise men of Babylon. A lot of these guys hated the Jews. And we'll see this in chapter 3, that they actually get up and denounce the Jews later. A lot of these guys are going to give Daniel trouble later on. And yet he saves their lives, despite knowing that it was probably going to result in trouble for him. Isn't that good? Daniel had a Daniel had a, a revelation of God that there is hope no matter who a person is. And Daniel wasn't just after these guys. He was after the big fish, Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to see later on that he actually um, does very well in reaching King Nebuchadnezzar. I'm going to catch my PowerPoint up here. I think we've talked about most of it. All right. It's, usually, it's actually just my own notes. I just put them up there because that way they're in front of you. But it's, it's more for me than you guys. <laughs> so, verse Ezekiel, huh? Okay. <laughs> verse 31. It says, You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And a stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation before the king. All right. So we notice that we have the statue of metals. They... They go from the head, which is most valuable, to silver, which is still valuable, bronze, less value, to iron, even less valuable. But you notice that they go from from weak to also strong. Gold being very soft, silver is relatively soft, bronze a little harder, iron's harder yet. So we see we see um, some symbolism going on in these in these um, metals. Then it says there's a rock that comes and it crushes all four of these at the same time, turns them into chaff, 
that blows away and forms a mountain that fills the entire earth. All right. So this is the dream. Okay. Now we're going to do the interpretation of this dream. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You, Nebuchadnezzar, are this head of gold. The interpretation is simple, right? The head of gold is who? Nebuchadnezzar. Notice he did not say Babylon. Even though Babylon was probably the most most powerful world power to ever exist, he said, Nebuchadnezzar, it's you. It only lasted 70 years, approximately. So it was very short-lived. The head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. And this is really important to remember for chapter 3 when we get there. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. And I am not keeping up on my PowerPoint. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Then another, another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. When we look at these other kingdoms, we know who they are. Does anybody know who the third kingdom or the second kingdom is? Yeah, very good. The Mede, the Medo-Persian Empire. It's, it's actually the Medes and the Persians together. And um, they will follow the, um, the, the Babylonian Empire. Then after that is the, the Greeks. Notice it gives us a clue to who they are. We're going to get a lot more clues in Daniel chapter 7. What does it say about the third empire? What's that? Bronze. Yeah, it's bronze, but what about what else about it? Rule over the whole earth. We know that when Alexander the Great came in and um, brought in the Grecian Empire, that he conquered the known world at the age of 20 in 13 years and died at 33 in a drunken stupor, weeping over the fact that he had nothing left to conquer. Poor baby. <laughs> All right. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it. Just as you saw the iron mixed of ceramic clay, and as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay... So the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron does not mix with clay. What does the iron represent? What nation? Rome. Rome. And there's a lot of things going on here. I'm going to back up to, I'm going to go through all four and give some explanation. We have Babylon, United Empire, absolute power, one head. We have the Medo-Persians, a split empire, two arms of silver. And we're going to see another allusion to this in chapter 7. We have a bear hunched up on one side. It gives us also a clue that the Persians are dominant over the Medes. So if you want to write that in your Bible, um, 
I'll give you actually give you these symbols. The head of gold is synonymous with the, the lion, the head of man, and four wings in chapter 7. The, the chest and arms of silver is synonymous with the bear hunched up with, on one side with three ribs, ribs in its mouth. We'll talk about the three ribs later. Um, the belly of bronze is synonymous to the leopard with the four wings and the four heads and grease. And um, the legs of iron, notice again we have two. We have a split empire. What were the two parts of Rome? The east and west, the Byzantines and the, the, the original Roman Empire. You have the western and eastern part. So you have two legs, and then you also have two feet mixed with iron and clay and ten toes. All of these are very, very significant prophetically. Now, when you look at Rome, a lot of commentators will say, well, we, we look at the fall of Rome 476, right? And we look at the fall of the Byzantines in 1453 when they took, they took Constantinople. Now, as far as the Western Roman Empire, we say 476 was the fall date, but it really never fell. It just kind of morphed into something else. And it just kind of broke apart, still kind of carrying the traits of, of Rome. And then we got all of our, our Western European nations. And so we look at the Fourth Empire and we say that, that Christ will return in the Fourth Empire. We actually see this in Daniel chapter 9. And he will also return in a different form of the Fourth Empire. Okay? And it gives us some characteristics of the Fourth Empire when it says that it's made of iron mixed with ceramic clay. It'll be partially strong and partially weak and will not hold together well. It'll be loose relationships between the parts of the Roman Empire. Does that sound like anything you see today? Yeah. Uh, isn't that the Fifth Empire you mean? Well, it's, it's, a, it's a continuation of the Fourth but it's in a different form. It's how it looked at prophetically. But I would say that that empire is actually coming together again. What do we what do we see that in today? Yeah, the European Union is a, is a is a really great possibility of what the continuation of this fourth empire looks like. And if you look at it, the nations are some are strong and some are. And do they always uh, hold together very well? No. You look at Brexit going on right as we speak, you know? Um, there, there's a lot of similarities to what the European Union may look like. Am I saying that it is the European Union? No, I'm not saying that. But I would say this, is that Europe actually continued in a Roman style of governing. It never completely fell. And you see those parts kind of reuniting it looks, it looks pretty promising that that's what it's talking about. I can't say that for sure. I'm not, I'm not a genius on that or an expert, but I would, I would say it looks that way. So, yeah, it does make sense. Um, yeah, I got a question. I was just going to say, um, all of that um, European Union, all of that has to come together. We're going to have a new world order, a one world government so that Christ can't come back. That's, that has to come together. That is correct. That's part of it. And we also see Israel being reunited in 1948. Um, that's huge. So the things are getting in place. And there's actually, 
I'm going to go on a tangent. If you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 yeah. and the Gog and Magog, yeah. I did a research on this a while back, years ago. It talks about alliances. None of those alliances actually existed until about 20 years ago. And they're all reforming. So we have a lot of things coming into place that is, is looking like this fourth kingdom is ready to reemerge in power. Now, we have another prophetic symbol here with a ten toes. All right? The ten toes are important, and it's actually going to give us more insight in Daniel chapter 7 about the ten toes, and it's going to be represented by ten horns on a dreadful beast. So if you want to write that in your notes, um, the legs of iron and the, and the feet of clay are represented by the beast with the iron teeth in Revelation, uh, sorry, Daniel chapter 7. And whenever we see a horn, a horn in the Bible is always referring to a leader. Okay? Now, we've never seen a ten-king federation in the old Roman Empire or even now. So this is yet future. And it's interesting to me that, that God says to Daniel that when this kingdom ends, there's going to be a rock that comes and smashes the feet, smashes the legs, smashes the bronze, and smashes the gold. Excuse me. And they will be made into chaff. Right? All right. I got some stuff here, and I want to catch up with myself. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I just, I just not paying attention to my PowerPoint at all this morning. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to talk. <laughs> all right. So then now I got to find what I actually wanted to talk about, and I probably won't find it now. Oh, yeah, I did. I'm, I'm way behind. So this rock comes and it actually makes chaff into the statue. Now you say, well, Babylon's gone. Is Babylon gone? No, it's Iraq. Right. And there's also a spirit of Babylon that still exists. Yes, there is. And the spirit of Babylon actually comes out in the book of Revelation. I, I think it's 13. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, we see the spirit of Bab Babylon very much alive. Look at your horoscopes. Look at your people that are in astrology. This is all stuff that came out of Babylon. The Babylonian spirit, even in our own culture, is very alive and well today. It's very alive, very well. You see, um, in Daniel chapter uh, 10, I believe it is, it talks about um, the archangel Michael battling against the prince of Persia. These are demonic entities. All these demonic entities are still in existence in the earth, and they're waging a spiritual war that eventually the rock of Christ will win. I love the end of these chapters, both 2 and 7. Jesus wins. He wins. And it says the rock comes, and it turns it to chaff, and just blows away. Right? It makes Matthew chapter 21 make more sense. Matthew 21, verse 42. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. What nation is that? It's the nation of God. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. But on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. 
when Jesus comes, and if it falls on the nations of the prince of this world, it will grind it to powder. And I just saw this, and I'm just thinking on the fly, and whoever falls on the stone will be broken. When you fall on Jesus, it will break you. But Jesus will be your rock. That is the message of Daniel chapter 2. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Two forty-six through 48. This is the whole, this is my favorite part of this whole chapter. If I can find it, because my page has been blowing all over. And then I, oh, I, I don't have it all up there then. Oh. Then in verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. I don't think Daniel took that. <laughs> the king answered Daniel and said, Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. Then the king promoted Daniel, this little 14, 15-year-old boy. I just think he's got, he had to have pimples. That's all I can think of. <laughs> and gave him many great gifts. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. Can you imagine your 14, 15-year-old being ruler of the um, province of Babylon? The known world. Because he took a stand at the age of 13. And he said no to the smallest man. What are you taking a stand on? What are you taking a stand on now that will affect the rest of your life? <laughs> Love it. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he sent Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Nebuchadnezzar, who is actually, there's actually several that are a picture of Antichrist, and Nebuchadnezzar would be one would be considered that. He is giving glory to God, not because he's been seeking God, because of the testimony of a little boy. Who are you testifying to? Who are you obeying God in the presence of when it's difficult? That the king of the world this time, who... We won't go into what he did to people like we did yesterday. I, was, I saw horror on people's faces yesterday. <laughs> the, the king of the world who does awful things to people, terrible things to people, can give glory to God. So my challenge to you this morning is to obey God even when it's difficult. To obey God in the smallest details of your life. Because if God can trust you to obey him in the little things, he will also promote you in the great things. I was going to start chapter 3 today, but I think this is a really good place to stop. <laughs> um, and we're at 11.30. So I, I'm going I'm to quit early. I think this is enough for today. Um, are there any questions before I before I before I wrap it up.
is there any of the could you those four uh, ways of looking at the scripture? Yeah. Uh, was there any insight on those four ways of looking at it as far as the facade and? Well, um, I didn't do I didn't follow that format directly. Okay. Um, push this time. I'm going to next chapter actually. Okay. More so. Um, the Peshat was, you know, Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, Daniel interpreted it. Right. The Remez, there, I don't know much Remez in this chapter. There probably is some, but I didn't pick it up. Okay. Um, Darash, I've been preaching throughout, so we've done that. And sowed, you know, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you in this? And I think that, you know, looking at how we respond to that would be more of our soul in this case. Questions. Any other questions, comments? All right. Burn them up. What's that? Burn them up. You guys excited for three? We can start it. And we can we can go to two o'clock if you want. <laughs> Kendall, would you close some prayer, please? Thank you. Yeah. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you again. Uh, we thank you again for the uh, the way you rose, uh, raised up Daniel in this uh, in this account. Uh, um, I just I keep uh, going back to this over and over again today and yesterday. Both the idea of this young teenage boy standing up in the court of the most powerful person in the world in his day, and uh, and the end result in chapter two is that that man glorifies you. Uh, though he might not fear God, he comes to the place where he honors you anyway, Lord. And we just, uh, we just pray that uh, we might, through your power, through your spirit, that we might be sensitive enough that we might interact with the people around us in such a way as to reflect you to them. Uh, to reflect you to them in such a way that they, too, might uh, come to a place where they would honor you. And, and ultimately, Lord, of course, we hope that the people around us might completely turn to you, that, uh, that salvation would be a part of their story. Lord, we trust you in your spirit to guide us, to lead us, to direct us. Uh, as we were reminded earlier, Lord, that uh, when the time comes, we need not worry. You'll give us the words to speak. And we see that you did that with Daniel here, that you gave him the dream. You gave him the interpretation. You gave him the word to speak. And you were glorified because of it, Lord. And may that be true in our lives. We pray as we wrap up our Bible studies this morning that you would be with us, be with us in uh, mealtime and uh, quiet time as we fellowship with one another. Be with us in our activities this afternoon. Keep us safe, Lord. Uh, and tonight as we gather together to worship in the tent, Lord, uh, may your spirit move amongst us in all of these things. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thank you, everybody. Uh,